I'd like to say something about the times that we are living in. The Lord knows what we are going through and He knows what you will be going through in the days to come, in the year to come. He knows what the devil has prepared for you and me and He also knows what He has prepared for you and me. Isn't that great? The devil has disaster planned for each one of us. And we need to know that. We need to know that. The devil wants to press you down, press me down, press us down. Press us down even as a church and as individuals. The devil has that plan in mind. It's no use being unaware of these things and just ignoring that. He does. He does have a terrible plan for your life. And he will try to enact it. Unless you don't believe that there is a devil and, and you just believe everything's random. But if you believe that there is such a thing as a personal devil who has intentions, whose intention is to thwart God's purposes, you have to understand that you, are, you have been born into the war, into a war of principalities and powers. Yeah? You have to know that. And sometimes as Christians, we think that Christianity is a, is, is, a, is, a, is a prescription for life lived without any sense of war. But there is a war. But God has intentions and God is infinitely more powerful than the devil. That's great. So much so that his story for you supersedes and overcomes the story that the devil, the narrative that the devil has for you and me. That is important. So it's very important for us to actually not only know the, the, the fact that the devil is, is not, does not have good intentions for us, but that God has infinitely more powerful intentions for you and me. A church is a church if it is a prophetic people who can hear the voice of God and prepare themselves for the days to come. A church is a church that hears from God, who gathers around the presence of God, and responds to what God is saying, so much so that the church has a hearing to what the Holy Spirit has to say, so that it can move, not according to history, not according to tradition, but according to the voice of God that's, that's new and present and, and fresh every day. Amen? <clears throat> that's really important. And I believe that, um, I believe that God has prepared us for the days to come. May I say that the theme of the uh, conference that we have, Abundance in Adversity, is something of that. I believe that God is preparing us Sunday after Sunday in such a way that there will be a culmination point in the fall conference in which God will build us up to the things that He has for us. The things that He has for us that will destroy the works of the devil are not things that are easy. They're not things that can be osmosed into us. They are things that are built up by faithfulness and obe obedience to Him. But I believe that every Sunday, He will give us a key into this. A key into possessing the places that God has sent you to, even though those places are not places that you would necessarily like to be. I believe that God will give us keys because His desire for you 
between now and the end of the year is, I believe, that you will prosper and be fruitful in the place we, we used to call this our land, the, the place, the location, the dimension of where we have been sent. I believe with everything that is within me, with every muscle that I have, every, every part of my intestines, that God has put us there for fruitfulness and not just to mark time. I believe that with everything that's within me. And therefore, I'm bold to say that if you would be, 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 uh, be attentive to what God says, and I will be too, as I kind of listen to Him, as we, and we listen to God together, He will give us ingredients and specific strategic things that are prophetic in a, in a sense that they would be in preparation of what is really going to be taking place, and we will be built up to it. I believe that fall conference is going to be the time in which God will actually bring together the things that He has been doing. But my hope and my ardent belief for the church is that come the end of the year, we will be a church that will begin to experience some of this fruitfulness in the land or the place that He has placed us. So come back to me if it doesn't happen. Okay, so I'm wanting to issue a challenge, so to speak, and I use the word challenge advisedly. I'm not into hyping it all up. I'm saying, I believe that there's a challenge that God has for us to take Him at His word, that in the places that He has put you and me, He will cause us to have, in the midst of affliction, abundance, abundant fruit. And He will be reaching out to people around you with the gospel and with his salvation. I believe that. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will will take it seriously. I, I, would, I believe that God will do that. Tell me at the end of this year if none of that has happened. Yeah? So I just want to say that. And because of that, I'd like to turn with you to Isaiah 54 before we go to our main text. So Isaiah 54 is a little bit of an intro to this, this series that we'll be looking at. <clears throat> and we can read it from verse 1, and then we will pray. Okay, verse 1 to verse 3. Today I'd like to talk about some core dynamic, some core spiritually decisive things that are at hand, that are in play, for God to put that fruitfulness in the midst of affliction, okay? Let's read it from verse 1. Shout for joy. Woo. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who have borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. I believe that that is actually the heart of God, yeah? that we will have spiritual sons and daughters. Not just abundance in terms of money and um, abundant usefulness or abundant gifts and all that. I mean, actual sons and daughters of the living God. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle desolate cities. 
Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, we thank you that you are here with us and that we are not just doing usual things. We thank you that you are acting upon us and you are opening up windows and doors to each one of us. And you have a word for every single person, all in our different situations and locations. Unless you bring us into the decisive things, we will just skirt around and look from the outside at hopeful things without experiencing them. And so we implore you, Lord Jesus, that by your Spirit you would minister to us and break down every barrier, everything that causes us not to hear the things that you have for us. In fact, Lord, we ask you that not only the words will come through, but the very things that you are talking about will begin to travail and erupt in us. Even if in its beginning stages. We are not here to waste time, Lord. And there is much to catch up on. And so we ask you for your grace in abundance in this time so that we will be uh, closer to you and even more fruitful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, uh, Isaiah 54 has, has been with me since I was 19, 20 years old. I get it several times a year. And each time it comes to me, it speaks to me in a much more deep way, a deeper way, and it captures me in a fresh way. And today it captures me again in another way. <coughs> it seems like there is a barrier between fruitfulness, spiritual fruitfulness, and barrenness. And that is why the kind of prayer that Isaiah is speaking about is a, it's not the kind of prayer that is conversational with God. It's kind of different. It's a travail. It's a, it's a forceful prayer that, that breaks through barrier, a certain barrier. To know that there is a barrier between fruitfulness and barrenness is, I'm sure, helpful for us. Because all of us have experienced times in which we are frustrated. We feel like we're in a barren land. We feel that we are in a wilderness. We feel that there's no fruitful, no fruit, and no one's coming to the Lord. Nobody's experiencing the power of God in their life. We feel that that's the normal existence. And what God is basically saying is this. There is this, this covering that has defined your world in such a way that your experience, in spite of all that God promises, is barrenness. Barrenness. And what God says is, is there's a certain kind of way in which we implore God and we come to God that actually breaks that, that becomes spiritually decisive. Yeah? Spiritually decisive. And he says, break forth, shout, break forth into joyful shouting, cry aloud, you have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. What God is saying is this, with this kind of, prayer, this kind of way of relating to God, 
with respect to our barrenness and his, and his fruitfulness, even the one who's been barren, even the one who's never experienced a person coming to the Lord, never experienced in spite of everything, in spite of the zeroness, the utter negation of our lives, more shall be the sons of the desolate than the ones on the, and, and more numerous than the ones of the married. That means what happens spiritually will be overshadowing far greater, more numerous than that which can happen physically or nat- in the natural. So what God is speaking about is perhaps something that many of us have never experienced about before. It's beyond the horizon of our experience. But what God is saying is this, more shall be the, the children of the desolate than the, those of the, of the married one. Now, as I say this, some of us will be saying, oh, I've heard this before. But some of, the, some of us will say, yeah, it's not okay for me to be barren. It's not okay. Not only is it not okay, I can't tolerate it anymore. I just refuse to tolerate it. I'm not into making myself feel good about myself. I'm into reality, and I want that. There are some who are here who are actually feeling that, that, that those words are just read don't gloss over you. They somehow, by a grace of God, by somehow the Holy Spirit's traction, you are not glossing over these words. You are saying, yeah, I want this. Is it, could it really be true? Could it, could it really be true? What do I need to do? I'm today willing to pay the price in a way that maybe in the past I was not really willing to take seriously. I thought I, it, it could all osmose, all the promises of God could osmose into me. But I'm realizing, thank God, that there is a barrier and God has a certain way in which He wants to break through. But is it really true that if I've never brought a person to Christ, I've never seen anything of, 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 of God, God-shaped phenomenon, phenomena take place in my life, this could actually happen in fruitfulness. Then perhaps God is speaking to you and God has caught hold of you by His grace. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch out the certain curtains of your dwelling place, spare not, lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right, to the left, and your descendants will possess nations and will resettle the desolate places. That's uh, amazing. We are not going to talk about verse, verse 2, uh, because I don't feel the Lord leading, us to, leading me to share about this. But what struck me is, is verse 3. What he says is this, you will spread abroad to the right and to the left, and your descendants will possess nations or principalities. Okay, What he's saying is this, I will cause you and your descendants to be placed outside the tent. Placed to the left and to the right. And I will put you into, into principalities. Now, a principality is not just a demonic spirit. A principality is a country. That's ruled by a prince. Okay? So, Monaco is a principality. Because a prince is the head of state there. Luxembourg is a principality. Liechtenstein is a principality. Andorra is a principality. It is a, it is a, it is a, it is a territory, it's a state that's ruled by a prince. When the scripture talks about principalities and powers, 
is talking about the reality behind the politics of, of, the, of the nation. What he's saying is this. There are ruling demonic spirits over countries and territories and locations that rule, that are decisive in the affairs of that nation. So there are some places that are extremely oppressive. I remember one of the first places I, I, I started uh, church planting in. Every day I wake, woke up, I would have severe headaches. When I first came into to America and the, and the plane landed, suddenly my back went out completely. I was not doing anything special. Suddenly I could not, I could not stand. I could not sit. I had to be to lie down. I had to be taken to this place, and and I was flat on my back for several a number of days for a number of days. And I could and I every time I pray, I could see a picture of a witch. Later on, someone said, someone who had been praying for us said, there's been, a sign, there's been an assignment upon you. So sometimes you enter into a new place and you experience this because principalities have two dimensions. There's a political, earthly dimension. They have locations, they have authorities, they have laws, they have rules. And then there is a ruling spirit, demonic powers, that hold people in the, under their clutches and cause them to experience oppression. And one of the most important things is that these try to cause people not to accept Christ or to become Christians or to be set free. If you go and plant a church anywhere in a new location, you will experience this. You will experience this. If you're not, if you don't experience it, you're missing something. Every time I... I this, is, this, is the, this is the seventh church I'm pastoring. I planted uh, uh, six, six other churches. There, I have found that every time I enter into that place, I'll experience dreams in which I'm being pressed by spirit, spiritual powers. And there will always be fear. There will be anxiety. There will be, there'll be almost a physical sense. And I will not be able to move. I will not be able to do it. And I have to battle it in my, in my spirit until it breaks. And when it breaks, something great will happen the next day. It's, it happens with boring regularity. So there are principalities and powers. Now what, what Isaiah is saying is this, in order for you to experience the promises of God in your, in your life, you cannot expect it to osmose, the promises to osmose into your life just by being passive. You don't experience it just by mentioning your desire and your heartfelt um, 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 uh, passion for the thing you want to, to pray for. It's not enough. You have to enter into the Spirit's song. You have to enter into the travail. Travail has rhythm. True? There's contractions. There's a, there's a regimen of time in which during that limited amount of time, there's a rhythm of way, the way in which the hours and the, and the minutes progress. When you enter into that, that song, <coughs> and, I, and, I, and I consider a song something that has rhythm, it has timeliness, it has feel, it has, it has a certain um, uh, authority over the one who's playing the song. You have to play the song according to the feel at that time. 
every song, especially a worship song, every time it's sung, it sounds different. The feel is different. It's never the same. When you enter into the song of travail, what happens is that you enter into, uh, it's almost like entering into an escalator, you know, and it moves at its own pace and you, you are in sync with that pace. Does that make sense? So prayer is not just telling God things that you want to tell. That is valid too. But I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. I'm talking about the prayer that causes a breakthrough between um, unfruitfulness and fruitfulness. Does that make sense? If some of this is not making sense to you, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit is very kind. He just gives us to understand the things that He wants us to understand. If you don't understand the rest, don't worry about it, okay? I, one of the things that I found when I first came to America, we were ministering to very intelligent students from very, very good schools. And I would say things very quickly. And I would see very disturbed furrows in their, their eyebrows because they, they missed something and they were taking notes. And, and because they missed something, they couldn't go to the next thing that I was speaking. And so they were missing everything. So I had to tell them, don't worry, the Holy Spirit is speaking. I'm saying whatever, whatever I'm supposed to say as I feel that. But not everything I say is for everybody. So if you don't understand it, don't worry about it. Just move on. Because the Holy Spirit is there to speak. And when it's time for you to hear what, you, what He wants you to hear, He will make it clo- uh, available to you. Amen? So can everybody relax a bit? Okay. So there is a way in which God says, Sing, O barren, you who did not bear. And immediately you get enter into the rhythm of it. You enter into the contractions of it. Because something is taking place. You are not dictating the song the song is actually controlling the way you, you actually act. And we'll talk about it uh, in, in future. There's, there's a lot to be said about that. But he, here, here I would want to put it to you that actually um, this breaking forth is necessary to the process of... Um, breaking in from barrenness to fruitfulness. Yeah? That's why Hannah's prayer, when she was barren, was so powerful. She entered into it. Her lips were kept, kept moving. Nobody understood what was going on. But she entered into, a, into a, 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 a bold rhythm. So much so that when the high priest came to her and scolded her, she was not intimidated because the travail that she was having was more compelling to her than his uh, misapprobation. Yeah? Disapprobation. Praise God. What does it look like when God has broken through? I can tell you many stories of how I've experienced this. But I want to share with you a little bit about something that I, have, I haven't actually shared completely with you. So, when, we, uh, when I was in college, some of you may know that when I was in uh, the arts faculty, my dad was a professor in uh, the education faculty. He was the dean. 
Okay. So I was the errant son. And my dad was the highly respectable and respected dean. He was so dignified that his students will just talk to me about how Dr. Cole is so dignified. Okay. And we were both Christians and not very close. Not very close. Yeah. I lived my own indisciplined life and he lived his very disciplined life. And there's not even a point of comparison. I was nothing like my dad. <coughs> but we were hungry. We were hungry. Hungry for the reality of God. My dad was an elder of the church and I was a miscreant of the church. It was so bad that one day as the elders board said, we, Dr. Ko, we have to talk about this. Your son actually should be excommunicated from the church. And somehow I wasn't. But I stopped going to church for, for a while. But my dad, faithful though he was, he was very dry spiritually. So was I. And so we, somehow the charismatic movement came to Malaysia. And for the first time, as I had shared with you before, both of us in our own separate corners were struck by the fact that God could do mighty things. That what we read about in the Bible could actually happen in little old Kuala Lumpur. That we in our college, with all the, 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 the mockery of our religion, could experience something like that. Yeah? And if it was really true, that all the stories that we were hearing from all the speakers from overseas who were telling us about, the, about, about the, the Spirit being poured out upon all flesh, if that was really true, just hearing the stories gave us boldness to be able to think, wow, this God is really real. He's not, we're not just playing games. And so my dad sought for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever you will call it, with all his heart, in his own way. And so did I in my secret way. When I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I began to start, I began to pray for my friends. I prayed for the whole arts faculty. And there were a lot of us there. I prayed and I found that as I was praying for them, I did not know what to do, what, how to pray. All I could do is with my newfound tongues, I just would pray in tongues. Because there was no words could express all the desire I had for my friends to come to the Lord. And true enough, after about six months of prayer, the first person came to the Lord. But there was a change in me, you see. It's not that suddenly nobody, at first nobody came to the Lord, now somebody came to the Lord. No. As, that, as I was praying, I began to have more boldness. I was, people that I dare not share the gospel with or talk about God with, I started talking about God. There was some freedom that had taken place in me that was a game changer. I had not experienced that, game, that, that, that freedom before. I would always be trying to manage my witness 
so that I won't freak people out. So that I won't be seen as like one of those hallelujah Harrys who are just like spouting off like stark raving bonkers. I wanted to make sure that people will understand that I am sober. I was intelligent. I was not mad. And so, for most of the time, I wouldn't say anything because, honestly, I would second-guess myself if I want to talk about Jesus because I could imagine why anything I said about Jesus would sound really, stu- really stupid, really, really hairy. And, but something happened during that six months as I was traveling in prayer. I just wanted God so much that my heart for my friends, my, 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 my colleagues, my classmates, became stronger and stronger and stronger until I could not stop. I could not, t- not stop talking to them about it. The coming of the Holy Spirit gives us a liberty. If you obey it, it will become even more liber- liberating. Amen? So I remember my friend Benji, he came to the Lord. He was the most notorious of all. He came to the Lord. He had, I mean, he was, he, he was, he was, people saw him as an evil person, a gifted and evil person. And then he came to the Lord. That fire that God had put in me was on him now. He was not just a person who came to the Lord, uh, I don't know what's happening, I'm going to lay low. No, he was not laying low. The next day we went to campus at 7 o'clock in the morning, we sat, sat in, the, in, the, in, the, in the bench and we started accosting any person who would come in. Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, whatever. Is right. And he would, go, he would go off. He was a one-day-old Christian and we did that for one whole year. Over 100 people came to the Lord. At the end of the second year, nobody dared to believe to, to, to make fun about Christianity. Because all the bad hats had become Christians. That all the, the, the most notorious on have, have become Christians. And we saw miracles on campus as well. So I've shared this with you. When we walked around campus, when we just walked around campus, instead of feeling like the campus is so powerful, we are so weak, we just walked around with such liberty and freedom because everybody was talking about the revival. Everybody was talking about re- revival, you know? My dad, on the other hand, he experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and he started sharing with his colleagues, all the professors there, and they started a small prayer group that grew and grew and grew and grew by the time he retired, and he had to retire late, uh, early because he, he began a church that grew, there were, I don't know how many professors, but almost every professor that I knew in the education faculty was part of that prayer group. He was a very, very quiet man. But he would never be afraid to just share quietly about Jesus. And so many professors were healed of incurable diseases in his place. It was amazing. A few years ago, I was invited to go speak in Perth. And I've gone there three times, I think, to to, to minister. One time, I was invited to go speak in this homeless shelter 
that met in the railway station. And, uh, the, and uh, the man who, told, who invited me was in charge. The pastor was in charge of it. Very experienced. He told me, now, you can only speak for six minutes max because they don't have much of an attention span. But just speak for, for, for six minutes and then we'll take it from there. So I went. I was so intrigued to see what God can do among such people. We went there. The place was full. It was maybe 200 people there. And there was Brian, the leader. And then he told me, Michael, do you know why I'm inviting you to speak? I don't know you, but I know your dad. He was my professor in Malaysia and back home in, back home in KL. He says, and I saw the change in him to such an extent that he, in a very quiet way, was full of the Holy Spirit. We all respected him before he was filled with the Spirit. But after he was filled with the Holy Spirit, there was something ebullient about him, something joyful about him, and something very compelling about him, even though he's still very soft-spoken. And I'm inviting you, not because of you, but because of your dad. Okay. He said, you know, he would invite us to church, me and, and, his, and his wife, uh, and we were students there, uh, Diploma of Education students. And every Sunday, he would come to our, our flat to pick us up. And every time we saw his green Volvo coming in, we would run away. But he would come every Sunday, and he would never give up. He said, I think that was the Holy Spirit upon him, because the such perseverance is beyond what humans can have. And we came. And now, because of that, God is using us in this street ministry. The Holy Spirit fell upon that group that, of 200 group. And, and, and people were, were... Tremendous, dramatic healings were taking place. We cast out demons. We prayed for the sick, laid hands, and the Holy Spirit was moving tremendously. I've had occasion to fellowship with Him since then. And... Uh, and he still remind, reminds me, the Holy Spirit moved, but I didn't know that God would move that way. All I cared was that you are the son of, my, of your father. <laughs> what does it look like? It could look like something like that in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school. It could look like that. That it doesn't look like that is not a problem because God has a decisive barrier that he is leading you and me to break. Amen? Okay. Turn with me to um, 2 Kings chapter 5. And we'll read it from verse 1. Okay. Second Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected. So he had a lot of clout with his master. 
Because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram, or Syria, Padam Aram. The man was also a very valiant, valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. <coughs> and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Let's stop here for a while. I love this. I love this. Here's this little servant girl, girl who has been kidnapped by raiders and taken and sold in the marketplace and Naaman and his wife buy her. She's sold into slavery by these marauders, by these, uh, by these, uh, these gangs. And she's not where she wants to be. She's in a place, in a land, may I say a principality, sort of, that God has made to be hers to, to uh, possess. So it's not Naaman and the king of Aram that actually had attacked Israel because there was a peace, there was an uneasy peace between um, Syria and Israel, the northern kingdom. But this peace was often disrupted because there were these incursions, cross-border incursions, in which the Arameans or the Syrians would capture people for slavery. For slavery. And she was one of those. She was, she was swept with this n- numberless, faceless crowd of people who are now in this place. And she became a slave. Now some of us, and I just sensed this as I was praying for this morning, some of us are in a place that you wish you were not today. You are in a place in which, in this principality, with this kind of ruling spirits, spiritual powers, you are depressed or you're discouraged or you're hopeless because in this place, it is not only not ideal, you are far away from the place of promise as far as you are concerned. And I want to put it to you that God may be speaking to you today that He actually has a tremendous plan for your life there. You may feel very, very unsettled about where you are, but God has a tremendous plan for your life right there. You do not choose necessarily the best, most attractive place, and that place becomes your, your land of promise. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way that you choose the best place, the best fit and all that, and it, it, and it becomes God's place for you. you. You are not fully in control. You may think it you are, but you are not actually fully in control. You bring to bear all the best resources of your mind and your sanity and your hearing from God and you make your best choice. But at the end of the day, God is the one who decides where you're going to go because He has an appoint, a divine appointment for you. Amen? Fruitfulness is predicated not upon the fact that we chose that place, but it's predicated on the, on the fact that you are where you are because God put you there. And you are there not because you want to go there, but because God has put you there. Can you, can, can you just imagine, every one of us is where God has placed us. And I want to put it to you that you are not where God has placed you so that you could make money, 
or that it could be convenient, or just that you can gain, gain experience for this un, 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 uh, unforeseen future. You are there because God wants to make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. That's what Joseph said when uh, Ephraim was born. Ephraim means the Lord made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Amen? Praise God. So, the, 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 the most important thing we, we, we realize is that this girl somehow found herself in grace. Okay? The next thing we notice about it, about it is that she seems to have had grace with her bosses. Her owners, actually. I wouldn't even call them bosses. They are owners. She seems to have grace from that because when she finds out that Naaman, her, her, the, 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 the husband of her boss, probably the, the boss is her, was his wife, um, when Naaman is, has discovered that he has leprosy, she has enough connection with them to say, would that my, my master would be with the prophet that is in Israel. He would heal him. So she, she had enough of a close relation. She had grace. Does that make sense? Here's, here's the thing. If you are in a place that you do not like, better penny, there will be a grace that will come next. If you hold out for God, He will give you a certain amount of grace. Doesn't mean you're free from it. You'll have some grace. Have you found that you're, you're in places in which you really don't like this place, but somehow you have grace? So, somehow something of a space, relation space, is there for you. Take it. Take it. Amen? The next thing I want to say is that, um, isn't it interesting that this girl had enough gumption to be able to just say, in her, say what was in her heart, right? Say the love that was in her heart. Say the good intention that she had, had in her heart. And she didn't manage what she would say. It's almost as if what she said was un, unfiltered. What she said was this. I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. You know, if there was any unvarnished phrase, that would be it. Theologically, how do you defend it? What if God doesn't heal him? You've said something really irresponsible. Does God heal everybody? But she said, if only he were with, <laughs> he were with the prophet in, in, in Israel, God, he will cure him. She said what was in her heart. She didn't sort of manage it. She didn't start getting clever and sort of nuance it or finesse it. She just said that was in her heart. I'm put it to you, okay? There are divine things under the surface of your heart. These are divine things that perhaps your mind would never think of but they are divine things that God has placed underneath. And maybe you know about them, maybe you don't. 
but the state of the human heart is mainly quenched. That is the state of our spirit. Our spirit is generally in a quenched state. That's why 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit of God. Do not quench. I want to put it to you. All of us decent Christians, educated, all that. Most probably, the state of your spirit is one of being quenched. It's quenched under many considerations. Many things that we own for ourselves, many distractions, many ways in which we live in the wrong dimension, the dimension of the flesh. Because if not, we would see a lot more miracles taking place. We would, speak it, we would, we would be speaking a lot more in worship. The Holy Spirit is not tongue-tied. But something ties our tongue. The quenching of the Holy Spirit. The quenching of the Spirit is not necessarily a, a conscious thing. It's just that there's a certain momentum, a certain inertia in life. You wake up in the morning, uh, I didn't have enough sleep. The first thing that comes into mind is that ugly face that you're going to face at work or problems that are besetting you, or things that happen. And what happens is that we just go down that drain, you know, go down that river, and we just obsess over these things. We are concerned about how people will receive our witness. We are concerned about all these things. We are concerned about how things come across and all that. We are, that's, that's all fine. But, but the, the state of being quenched is not the state of not being concerned. That's not what it is. The state of being quenched is we are allowing that to become the dominant felt immediate reality in our life. So the little girl, or I don't know how little she was, was not quenched. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But I have not quote, quoted completely that verse for you. So if you, if you, if you look at First Thessalonians, Chapter, chapter 5. If you read it from verse 17, it says, Pray without ceasing. Okay, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the Spirit, and do not despise prophecies. Yeah? So, okay, so, so here's the, the thing. The reason why we are quenched, okay, is because, can I just put it a different way? We are called to speak, not all the time. Some people speak when they are not called to speak. God doesn't call us to speak all the time. But there are certain times where your speech, your speaking, will be decisive. You notice I'm using the word decisive quite a bit today. Because that's the word that came to me as the Lord was speaking to me. There are certain times in which your speech will be decisive. And if you are not praying through the day, if you're not aware of the presence of God, the decisive time will come and it will pass by and no spiritually decisive action happen. 
So to not quench the Holy Spirit, we have to be people who are just aware of the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. Not necessarily with our minds thinking about the things that we're praying. We're just aware of the, Lord, the presence of the Lord praising Him. He says, and be thankful, right? Is it? In everything, give thanks. Give thanks. In everything, give thanks. I don't know of anything that is most, more conducive to not quenching the Spirit, for having the Spirit come with His treasures from underneath the quenching to, uh, to, 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 to come to the surface as thanksgiving. We've talked about thanksgiving a lot. But may I suggest to you that thanksgiving is not a happy thing. So sometimes you and I may get the idea that being thankful is being having a happy attitude. I would say quite the opposite, actually. Thankfulness is war. Thankfulness is the way we war against the unthankful and negative spirit and the, the false prophecies of despair. Thankfulness is what I do despite of the fact I don't feel thankful. If you are thankful and you're happy and then you thank God, great. There's no spiritual decisiveness in, this, in that. But when you are feeling unthankful, where you're feeling everything's against you, the way in which that treasure from underneath can come to the surface is through thankfulness. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all, in all things. And so Paul's speaking to the Thessalonian church. You understand that the Thessalonian church went under severe persecution. Severe persecution. Right? Very severe persecution. He says that under, under, under the much, much affliction, you redounded with tremendous generosity. So much so that the, the, the news of you went throughout Macedonia, Achaia, and all the different parts. Right? So there's something about what, what he's saying. He's saying there's a way in which you can, be you can have access to the treasure underneath if you pray without ceasing, but be having a thankful attitude. I find that when I'm in a situation that makes me feel not thankful, the only way I can militate against it is to start thanking God. Thanking God. Not for the situation necessarily, but thanking God for who He is, that He is moving, and He has something more than that. Unthankful, unthankful thing. I have to allow myself to do that and I knock and I keep on knocking and I keep on knocking. Something spiritually decisive will take place. Not because of the knock, the last knock, but because of the fact that I set up knocking. I set it up from 20, 20 days ago or 20 months ago. I set up knocking. So much so that when, when the final knock hits the hole in the wall, it's not that final knock that did it. It is that knock from 20 days ago when that first knock, when, 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 when the knock reputed me, reputed, repudiated me back. In this, in this, it's in this place where I set up, knock, uh, knock and keep on knocking. Amen? The most important thing is this. We've got to understand that the, 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 the line between fruitfulness and barrenness it's a wall. It's a real wall. It's a real wall. If you're not fruitful, it's not because God doesn't love you, but because of the fact that you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit who has given you everything to be operational in our lives. There are precious things 
that are in your spirit. There are amazing things that God's going to do through you that are under a quench, under a whole layer of quenchedness. And the only way in which you can know about it is to flip this upside down. But for that to happen, God calls us like, like the, 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 the girl to become one in which the heart is on the top. The best evangelists are not the people who are the most sensitive. In fact, I found that the most sensitive people are completely barren. They've never brought a person to Christ. It's an overgeneralization. The best people, of course, are people not necessarily who are insensitive, but who can be able to bring out the treasure in there. They're not managing it all the time. And may God add to that wisdom so that we're not blunderbusses or bulls in the china shop. Yeah? We don't have to be that. No need. Don't be stupid. We don't need to be stupid. Don't, be, don't, don't need, need to be insensitive. Be as sensitive as you can. But don't let that sensitivity quench the Holy Spirit. I think all of us need to be prayed up. We need to be prayed up so that the fire can rise up. Can rise up. When your fire has risen up, you find the things that God wants to say, they're just on the surface. You'll just pick it off and say it. Just say it. Just like, there's no, I was going to say no filter, but there's no restraint. You can say it. There's a freedom. When the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Most people pray only up to a point of lukewarmness. The point that we have prayed in has not got fiery power. It's only up to the point of lukewarmness. So it's within the controls of our own control of our life. So here's what I think is the key for her. And she said, if only there was a prophet that he could see. So he goes... Sends, sends a message to the, his king, and the king sends a message to the king of, of Israel and says, I'm going to send uh, some gifts to you, send my, my revered servant, Naaman, to you, cure him. And the king of Israel rips his garments in complete hopelessness and despair. When a, when a king does that, he's saying, there is no more hope, it's all done, it's finished. I have no answers. There are no way I, I, can, I can do anything about it. He rips his throat. And then the prophet says, bring it to me. He should know that there's a prophet in Israel. Amen? Now, I would like for each one of us to have that facility in VCF. That you, in your land, or in your place where you are, can bring friends and find that, and you can tell them, if you come, God will have a word for you. In fact, many, if not most, of VCFers today, online and here, are here because someone told them, come up for prayer. Because if you come up for prayer, God will show up and He will tell you things supernaturally. And it has happened. What more can we ask, right? What more can we ask? I want to believe, God, that we as a people 
can be prayed up and not quenching the Holy Spirit so that when people come to VCF, you can be assured of getting a word from the Lord as He, as he leads, as He leads. Amen? Amen. Finally, Second Timothy speaks to the servant girl or the slave girl. Paul says the most important thing. Preach the word, verse 2, Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. We got it, huh? Yeah. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with a great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. And they will turn away their ears and will turn aside from myths. The thing is, the last thing that I want to say is very related. It says, preach the word, be instant, or be ready in season and out of season. There's no other way. If you're not ready in the times when you're not called for, you will not be ready in the times you are called for. Yeah? So what Paul is say, saying to Timothy is this. There are seasons, in season, out of season. What he's saying is this. The Holy Spirit is present. He's not seasonal. Don't get the idea that the Holy, there's open season for the Holy Spirit and then closed season for, for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is always open. The all Holy Spirit is always aware. Even when you're asleep, He's aware. He's, he's on you. When you're asleep, when you're, when you're far away from Him, He's near to you. He's there. When you're far away, you can't even, He's the last thing on your mind. He's there. In attentive towards you in the same way as when you were not attentive to Him. Be instant in season. I love the word instant. That's King James Version. Instant means at any time. At any time. What will happen is that what will be drawn out of you is what's on the surface, not what you sort of reflect and go down deep, 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 deep inside you to try to pull out. No, be instant. In instant means just to be there, ready. Because friends at work, friends on the internet, friends in your online community, anytime may express by the ripping of their, their gowns a certain amount of despair. A Naaman may express a certain amount of sorrow and despair. Be ready for that to happen. When that happens, don't be quiet. Don't be quiet. Don't try to manage how you're going to speak. It has to come out. There's a time. And when that happens, let's be ready. Amen? Very ready for that. Don't, don't manage it too much. If you second-guess it, you will probably be in the flesh again. And you will quench the Spirit. You will say all the right things in the right way, but the Holy Spirit may not come forth. And what you want to be able to say is, Oh, I wish you were with the prophet. He would cure you. Oh, what did I say? Yeah. Amen? I remember... A few, uh, a few months ago, someone came up to, to the front for prayer and had an incurable disease. And uh, I had just preached, and, uh, and she came up for, 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 for prayer. And from, she was from out of town, and she had this, uh, this disease. And, I, and it's the name, the medical name is so long, I can't even sp speak it, let alone spell it. And she says, it is incurable. 
and I don't know why, I said, God is going to heal you. God is going to heal you. And she could not walk because there was pain in this leg. Okay. And we prayed. Immediately the pain. Now she was, she just went like this because God had healed her. Now she was brought to the church by someone else. So that later, months later, I heard from that person, she's still healed and she's still praising the Lord for something. There are times in which God is good. Praise God, right? Praise God. Praise God. Not man, but God, right? God gets all the glory. There are times in which God will put it into you because you're like the little servant girl. If you let a mountain of thought separate you from the impulse of the Holy Spirit, you'll be quenched. Now, you and I have to decide whether we want to be a fool for Jesus' sake or not. That is a decision you have to make. But if you've decided that you want to be fruitful and you're willing to go for it, use all the wisdom that you can, but don't allow the Spirit to be quenched. Amen? Let us pray. Let's uh, look to the Lord right now. I really believe that in the next six months or so, fruitfulness will begin to break out in whosoever will who wants to take this word and say, yes, this is from God to me, I receive it. I really believe that. And I believe that God's desire for us is not for us to just mark time, but to actually experience in the land of our affliction, fruitfulness and abundance. I want to invite you, if you God has so, so touched you, to receive it right now and open your heart to him. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. In your light, we see light. In your light, we see light. Light is going forth right now from the word into our hearts, Lord. We thank you right now for intercessors that have been praying already at daily prayer for this time and for the times ahead. Yes, Lord. We thank you right now that you've already broken the principality over our nation, over our area right now, Lord God, even over our speech even over, Lord God, the first impressions that we have been taught from an early age to give to others, even over our projections, Lord God, you break the principalities Amen, over our Lord. projections yes, right now in Jesus' name so that we, God, are your servant girl. We're your servant girl, Lord God. We're your servant girl. And we thank you. We thank you for the Ninevehs. We thank you for the places we have more to teach us to, God, that are perfectly chosen for us, Lord. Amen. And we bless our Ninevehs. We bless our Ninevehs. We bless those places of affliction because you have good. You are good, Lord. Amen. Bless your name. I want to invite you to receive the land or the place that God has given to you and allow your imagination to see differently. 
perhaps see it the way that God sees it. Lord, we ask you that you would open our eyes to those who are around us, who are completely in despair, who are ripe for the gospel. We ask you that you open our hearts and our minds with such love that our love will supersede our sensitivities and our thinking. Come Holy Spirit, I sense that there are some people that perhaps we have overlooked, we have thought, I don't think there will be people who are open to the Lord. And Lord, we ask you for your eyes to prevail over our own initial impressions or even preferences. We welcome you, Lord. We pray that you will bring VCF, us, into your travail, that much fruit will come forth, even in places of affliction. In Jesus' name, amen.